0: Hello and welcome to European Pharmaceutical Review's podcast. My name is Caroline Peachy, I'm the editor of European Pharmaceutical Review and I'll be your host today. In this episode, we're talking about biosimilars development and I'm thrilled to be joined by Dr. Salim Ben-Khalifa from Celtrian Healthcare France. So, hi, Salim. Thank you so much for joining me today. Before we start the podcast, um, can you tell me a bit about yourself and your career in the pharmaceutical industry?
1: Hi, Caroline. Thank you very much for this uh, invitation. I'm very happy to be here to discuss with you. I'm Salim Ben Khalifa, I'm um, Medical Affairs Director for and Healthcare France. Just to tell you a little bit about my background, I'm a medical doctor, general practitioner. I work with Sertian Healthcare France for uh, three years. I have a background in medical affairs about um, 14, 15 years now. I've been working in immunology and inflammation field for uh, about 8 to 10 years. I started in 2014, so I worked with a big pharma company before Sertian, and uh, now I'm responsible I'm overseeing the medical activities for Sertian uh, Healthcare France.
0: Fantastic. Well um, in this podcast we're going to be talking about biosimilars. Um, So to start off with can you tell us like what are biosimilars?
1: Yes, I think this is the most important part we should start with by defining biosimilars. So biosimilars, to understand biosimilars we need to understand biologic medicine. Biologic medicine are drugs that are manufactured from living organisms and the biosimilars are similar to those reference biological medicine. They are not identical, they are similar because we are talking mainly about proteins. So with very complex molecule, these are the copy. They should demonstrate they are, don't have any clinically meaningful difference from the originator in terms of efficacy, safety and quality. So there is specific process and uh, regulation to approve those biosimilars.
0: What are the main benefits of using biosimilars?
1: This is also a very important question because main benefit is cost saving. Because we started to develop biosimilars to decrease cost. Decreasing cost of treatment, of biological treatment, because biological treatment are among the most expensive treatment on in every health care system. So biosimilars allow to decrease the cost and which have several advantages. Because when we decrease cost, what does it mean? We can increase access to the patient because we can treat more patient. And also, not only this, the savings, we can invest in innovation. So there is double interest by decreasing the cost of medication, increasing patient access, and investing on innovation, on improving patient management, and a lot of things. This is one of the key benefits. There is another benefit that has been highlighted and we observed this very recently with what is happening around the world. Having biosimilars allow in case of shortage, if one pharma company cannot supply, cannot manufacture treatment, we still have an alternative. It can prevent shortage of medication, so which allow always continuity of the access and the medication. This is also one of the key advantages of having biosimilars. And we can discuss also by innovation because the investment, maybe we can discuss this later, how we can go further than biosimilar by investing on improving the current treatment medications.
0: What are the main considerations for switching patients from an originator like biologic medicine to a biosimilar?
1: This is also a very important question because I'm a doctor and as doctor, we are here first to treating patients. Well, we cannot tell to the patient, I'm giving you the cheap medication. That's why we need first to have the shared decision-making. We need to explain to the patient that it's not because these medications are less expensive, that they are less quality or less efficacy or less safety. Of course, it's very important to explain to the patient why you have biosimilar, why it's important to have those biosimilar. When the patient is involved, then the patient can be adherent and it is really observed those patients are having an improved adherence and outcomes. So this is very important. This is the first consideration is really to explain to the patient and to involve the patient from the beginning of when they switch from originator to biosimilar. And we need to explain to the patient the benefit, all the benefits that they could have with biosimilar so this is the first consideration we should have. And then we can have even an improved kind of biosimilar. We can improve, for example, the way of administration. We can take existing molecule. For example, we can talk that the medication that can be delivered by intravenous. We can go further and improve the medication by the, the administering by CEPQ and explaining to the patient the gain that they can have by self-administrating those medication. And this can really and ultimately improve the quality of life of the patient, avoid the patient to go to hospital. We saw this recently with the COVID crisis. Those kinds of medication will avoid the pressure on hospitals, which allow the patient to be treated at home. So that are really what uh, this is very important to consider before prescribing and to explain clearly to the patient and involve them.
0: Can you tell us a bit about the biosimilar landscape in Europe and look ahead to the next few years?
1: In Europe now, it's been like um, 10 years since the first monoclonal antibody biosimilar, we can discuss this later. So now, efficacy, no one in Europe, I think, doubt about the efficacy, safety, quality of the biosimilars approved in Europe, at least. This is for sure. So now there is an increase of competition with biosimilars and it will continue to grow because a lot of molecules molecule are losing exclusivity. So this is why biosimilar in Europe now, first it has biosimilar have been accepted. It's well-established medication. A lot of big molecules are losing exclusivity, so we'll have more and more biosimilars. So with keeping this in mind, so it's important to consider this for saving the cost for the system and trying to improve the biosimilar and really to try to have the nearest formulation to the original molecule. With this in mind, that's why Sertion, for example, is a pioneer on method of, we go further to biosimilar to what we call add value-added medicine. And this is, it can become game changer in the future, which means we can add the value to the current medicine. I, I talked earlier about improving the way of administration rather than but it's IV even SC medication, improving some pharmacokinetic characteristic. this can improve the convenience, adherence and eventually the quality of life of the patients.
0: It's been 10 years since the first monoclonal antibody biosimilar was approved in Europe. Um, just reflecting back, can you um, explain you know the significance of this and, and kind of how we've moved on from there?
1: Yes. I remember, you know, when the first, I wasn't with Sertrion at that time, when the first biosimilar arrived to the market and uh, it was an infliximab and uh, it arrived uh, first EMA approval 2013, so now it's 10 years, as you said. And the first, you know, the biosimilar regulation, it's not the same as a new medicine. There is, we develop one phase one study, one phase three study in one indication and there is an extrapolation to other indications, because usually those molecules treat several diseases. And when they develop one indication, at the beginning, a lot of doctors were concerned because saying, we have only one study, why extrapolation, and they wanted data. And biosimilar companies invested a lot to generate real-life data. And a lot of even governmental data, I remember the North Switch study, which was one of the biggest governmental by a Norway government study, reassured on the switch from originator to biosimilar with infliximab and which reassured specialists. And with this, nowadays, as I said, there is no doubt about the efficacy, safety, and the way of approval. And now biosimilars are uh, in routine practice. And we saw with this is with, we leave this here even in France, the price decrease of biologic cost for both. It, the impact impacted the originator and biosimilars. So with this, the price decreased I can I would say like uh, more than half, eh? I would say the price really decreased a lot and which made a lot of saving and a lot of investment for government and for uh, patient for healthcare system.
0: We've talked mostly about Europe. How do the guidelines for biosimilars differ between Europe and the US?
1: It's not really the same. I think Europe is more advanced than the US. I think US now, they are bridging the gap. But again, if you look to the US market, until 2010, no regulatory approval pathway for biosimilar existed in US. The first biosimilar in US entered in 2015. And really, it's in Europe, we were really advanced. And even if we take, for example, we have an example here with sentient with an Amfliximab evaluation, Amfliximab, we developed, as I told you, subcutaneous administration. And um, the pathway was not the same. Europe had a pragmatic approach, I would say, because they considered it's like a nebride. They said, okay, we know the molecule, it's an amfleximab. we know b- Amfliximab, we know the biosimilar of Amfliximab, the way of administration is not the same. That's why they considered it as a an hybrid, And uh, it was smooth and uh, straightforward, I would say, composite between uh, new molecule and uh, biosimilar standard. However, for United States, for example, for US FDA, it was completely considered as a new molecule and we moved along innovation approval pathway and the approach is not really the same.
0: What are... Oh the top three challenges associated with adoption of biosimilars?
1: If we consider the challenges facing the uptake of the biosimilar, maybe we would start with the regulatory barriers, a lack of understanding and probably procurement challenges. If we consider the regulatory barriers, so in Europe, for example, regulatory approval require comparative efficacy study, although this may provide of course reassurance to, understand, to those unfamiliar with the concept behind biosimilarity, even though now it's becoming more and more clear. They are not really necessary for reestablishing the safety efficacy of the proposed biosimilar. This can eventually delay patient access. For example, in France, even after EMEA approval, for example, if you take Europe, we have EMEA approval. In France, we wait for four to, about four to six months to, have the, to obtain the reimbursement of the biosimilar, which is really a challenge because normally biosimilar, we should approve as soon as possible to reduce the cost and to increase saving. The second challenge is the lack of understanding. Of course, we need to explain, that is still in education work, to explain to the HCPs, to healthcare providers, to the patient, what are biosimilars, the importance, what we were discussing, the importance of biosimilars. why we need biosimilars, and to reassure also on the quality, efficacy, and the, the accuracy of the medical agency in Europe, because when we have the medication, we are sure that there is really a good quality and efficacy safety behind. You see the second challenge. The last one is, of course, procurement. We discussed about this also, uh, price decrease. There is price decrease across all biosimilar products. And in all region, as competition increases because increases, because there is an increased competition. And this may deter the manufacturer from entering to a certain market, because pricing reimbursement can be rigid and does not reward the investment, because it's a really an investment that increases convenience. For example, if we take the model of Amphlixima PCPQ, it's and even innovation because we are innovating on the way of administering the medication. And we, this need to be rewarded to encourage the pharma company to invest. And this is really something that we need to improve. And without this, we cannot be really helpful for a patient and for the HCPs. For me, those are the main three challenges for adoption.
0: And how is industry working either together or individually to help overcome these challenges?
1: I would say it's not really easy, of course, but industry is working, we are working. So if we consider, for example, the regulation part, we need to have a globally accepted, standardized set of regulatory guidelines would avoid duplication of clinical trials because we are wasting time for patients. And of course, it's a lot of money that is invested and we need to avoid this, which allow medicine to come to market in timely fashion for the benefit of those patients who need them most. This is really to facilitate active development of value-added medicine, because as I said, there is the standard biosimilar and we can have even the value-added medicine, we can invest on this, and it's very important that regulatory requirement for those approval be streamlined. One issue is, like I said, of the widespread understanding of biosimilars. That's why Surgical Healthcare, for example, we launched recently the 10 years campaign to celebrate it's now decade of biosimilar innovation in Europe. And uh, the campaign coincides of the 10 years since the world's first monoclonal antibody biosimilar, as I said, Amfliximab, received the European Medical Agency approval. So this new campaign aim to highlight the positive impact of biosimilar to patient and healthcare system while reflecting on what the future could hold through continued innovation. So lastly, for procurement, we really need to have pricing and reimbursement of biosimilar that could be improved. So the delay, first, we need to accelerate the launch after the approval. As I told you, for example, in France, we have four to six months, even after EMA approval, I'm not talking about the EMEI approval timelines itself, it's just the reimbursement. And the timeline of market entry could also be better estimated in order to better plan the supply and delivery of the drug. Because this is very important for us to anticipate because, as I said, it's a biological medication. It takes time to manufacture. So this is very important to anticipate also. We worked with very top, Opinion leader expert, they presented the experience they have with biosimilar, the, the latest clinical data. You know, now we have we are accumulating a lot of data, a lot of registry around the world showing and reassuring on efficacy and safety, and also innovation beyond biosimilar, like value-added medicine. This is also very important for us because it helped a lot of patients to stay at home, to avoid to go to hospital, and to maintain their treatment. This is why really we want to improve their daily life of the patient, to be really patient-centric, to give them the medication that can change their daily life. And of course, help the patient, the physician, the nurse, or treating those patients.
0: And looking further to the future, what innovations do you anticipate in the biosimilar space over the next, say, five to 10
1: years? Although, of course, budget saving remain one of the key objectives of payers, payers, of course, for payers, what's important is cost saving, it become evident that existing biosimilar still left unmet need for both patient and physician, this is for sure, and due to the technological advances, Further innovation in biologic development have resulted in medicine that offer benefit behind those offered by a reference product or their biosimilar, like what I said about the administration. This could be a benefit for both patient and healthcare system, because if you take back the example of IV room, of to go to IV room or stay at home, of to lose one day, day of work, stay at home for administration of the treatment. This is very important for the patient and this step in administration, we can also improve the pharmacokinetic profile of the medication, reducing immunogenicity, maybe alone, even, because for example, treatment that can be administrated with immunosuppressant due to immunogenicity can be administered alone in monotherapy, which will reduce the burden of the combination therapy. This is very important. There's a lot to do, again, and to continue to work on this. And is not only support in addressing the patient need, but also offer potential uh, saving for this, for uh, in-cost hospital also, because we reduce those costs. And in immediate future, we expect significant advancement, which can include biosimilar entries in expanded therapeutic area because we are expanding our presence. We are launching in biosimilar in pneumology. So far today, there is no monoclonal antibody in pneumology to my knowledge. So we are entering here a lot of in dermatology, the expansion in the into pharmacy benefit reimbursement. So that's why CERTIO is continuously expanding our we are expanding our biosimilar pipeline with uh, several areas as i said ophthalmology also allergology allergy endocrinology and of course in addition to immunology and oncology you know uh, now i've been working with researchion for uh, 3 years we launched four or five molecules, five molecules and our aim is to launch almost every year one new molecule for the five to ten years so we are developing several biosimilars high quality biosimilar in several therapeutic area domain really to continue our commitment and also trying to innovate by having an, an approach that responds to the patient needs.
0: Unfortunately that's all we'll have time to discuss today Thank you so much, Salim, for joining me today and for sharing your insights into the biosimilars landscape and looking ahead to the future innovations and how they can help patients. On behalf of European Pharmaceutical Review and Celtrion, I'd like to thank you all for listening and we hope you'll join us for our next episode.